and, and they associate growth with greed. And to me, it's the opposite. Growth is an indicator that what you're doing is the right thing. We believe every Australian deserves a right to own at the very least five investment properties. I'm Adrian Trimboli. And I'm Frank Ambezi. And welcome to the Invest in You podcast. Boom. Back again. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to our, I think it's our first episode with our first special guest today. Exciting times. Very exciting talk. We have a cracking guest on today, someone who's had a massive impact on our, our life, our business, every part of our life, really. But as always, before that, let's get into the Mindset Minute. Now, the Mindset Minute is very, very, very related to exactly who the guest is and, and, and what he will be discussing. And this, um, Frank, I think you probably agree. Have we not met Mr. Mr. David? Um, probably still would be struggling with this, I think. So here's the quote. Quote is, plans are nothing. Planning is everything. Now, you probably would have heard, okay, in the last couple of episodes, or the first couple of episodes, we used to fall into this trap like, you know, 95% of others do, which is they put the plans in place, but there's actually no plan in place, if that makes sense. I want to achieve and get a $10 million property portfolio, but there's no steps to actually plan out the process and what each year you need to be hitting, what quarter you need to be hitting. And David Guest, and he will be touching on it throughout our session, he's massive on this. He, him and his company, they are massive on this. And they introduced this to us. They introduced what's called an eight-week uh, plan, which is, it was the game, game changer for us. We've, uh, we've very much run our business slash our life on the basis of, of these plans, these sprints, which have clear targets to hit each week, each month, each quarter, each year. And really, that is the, 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 that's the catalyst for being able to achieve those, which you will touch on. Which exactly. A, a plan without a, a goal, sorry, a goal without a plan is just a, a dream. So it's just super. Today is, uh, you're going to get a lot of value from this, I guess. You need a plan for everything you do to attack it and get the right result and get the right outcome. So we're going to welcome you to David. You're going to get a lot of, a lot of golden nuggets from today's session. I think uh, this is something that we don't talk a lot about when it comes to business. Someone having like a David on, so, you know, uh, a business coach. So this is something that's going to be really, really impactful for those business owners. And if you're someone that wants to start a business, this is something that's the catalyst because building that foundation at the very beginning is super important, which I guess a lot of people don't have. Even when they have a successful business or a business that is you know, producing six figures, they had lacked those, those foundations. And this is something that's going to, you know, going to unravel that so you can get an understanding. So welcome our special guest, David Guest, and you'll see you on the other side. We're now going to bring on Mr. David Guest. David, welcome. Yeah, g'day, Adrian. How are you going? I'm very well. Very, very well. Just before this, David, I was telling the viewers and the listeners uh, about what an impact you have had on myself, my business partner, Frank, our business, our life. Um, 
So I'm very, very privileged, very privileged to have you on. And, and bring you on. Yeah. Uh, I want to give the guys a bit of an overview because I probably did a really bad job of uh, introducing what you do and, and who you are. So if you could, a bit of a backstory of who you are and yeah, how you kind of fell into the business coaching world. Yeah. So I've um, been doing this for 20 years this year, Adrian, so uh, it's our anniversary. But how I fell into it is uh, when I was a kid, um, I used to have my, my parents were immigrants into the country. They were new to uh, Australia and didn't speak English very well. So they got here and they started to run their own business because they couldn't get a job. And so as a kid, I was uh, in a family where I got employed at five years old. Um, which I thought was employment, but the truth was it was just cheap babysitting. So I get like my, my 50 cents a day to go with mum and dad to work and help them out. Um, but uh, their whole philosophy was simple. They said, we're running this business so that we can pay for your education. So you can become a professional, wear a suit and a tie. And in those days, you had two choices. You could be a doctor or a lawyer, right? And uh, so that was it. And I didn't think anything of it when I was a kid. That was just what happened. So mum and dad worked five days, seven days a week sometimes. And I'd go to work with them. And the whole idea was to save money to send me to private school so I could become a professional. Um, but I was not good at school. I dropped out in year 12. And uh, they, didn't, they weren't very impressed with that at all. Um, but it sort of threw a question at me. And it was like, well, if I'm not academic, then what will I do? And I end up becoming a tradie. But uh, at the time, it was, there was another question, which was, why do some people run businesses and make lots of money? And why do other people run businesses? Because they can't get a job. And the truth of the matter is they can be in the same industry and some people make lots of money and other people will start there. And so I started researching and looking around and looking at successful people in business versus the ones that aren't successful. And it's surprising that most people who are successful in business aren't smarter than the ones that are not successful. They just do different things, right? So that's where I started, and, and I started getting curious and saying, well, what's the difference between someone who's a successful tradie and someone who's working really hard on the tools and ends up with knees that don't work anymore? And it turns out that uh, it, the difference is not learning the trade itself, but learning how to be a business owner. And so learning how to be a business owner was something that sort of inspired me, and I thought, well, there's a lot of people out there that went into business for the right reasons, and they all go in with this dream of freedom and lifestyle choice and, you know, making lots of money. Then they get sort of railroaded into working really hard for many years and not getting the dream that they started off with. And the scary part is a lot of them resign to that and say, this is just what it is, right? And you go, hang on a second, but there's people in your industry that are making lots more money than you. Oh, they're smarter than us. They were lucky. All the justifications, right? And so what I realized is it's just an education process. And if you decide you want to become a business owner, there's a difference between being self-employed and being a business owner. And sure. it's different things. Yeah, so that's where it started. Okay, cool. So out of school, mum and dad weren't happy. Went into a trade. And then from there, how did Because I know your background. I'm, getting, I'm just going to the, to the viewers. You then went from there into what? And then how did that fall into, okay, yeah. I actually want to help people okay. build a business? So around age 20, I... Um, my brother gave me a gift of a book called Think and Grow Rich. And if you haven't read it, you have to read it. Um, but it taught me a lot about, you know, this whole um, philosophy around thinking successfully. And so being in trade, I was, uh, I used to work at Channel 7, as you're probably aware, for nearly eight years. Uh, that was my first job out of trade school because it was easy and it was reliable and it was safe. But uh, then I started to have children 
Right? And children are expensive. <laughs> and so lifestyle choices change. And so I started to think, well, how do I make more money? And after reading Think and Grow Rich, I said, well, it's easy. You just think more successful and you start building your skills and you become worth more money. Um, so I got to a point where I, I self-taught myself in computers and how to run a computer business. That was my first one. And I read a book called The E-Myth, which is now The E-Myth Revisited, Michael Gerber. Yeah, she talks about business systems. So I thought, I'll give this a go. It's pretty straightforward. The book tells you what to do. Follow the instructions, connect the dots, and you have a successful business. <laughs> Famous last words, right? So first, first business fell over. Um, second business I went into was a, um, a supermarket. We had a supermarket which competed with a company, I don't know if they're still around, not quite right. So we used to do sort of deleted lines and just oddments. We had two supermarkets, one in Kensington, which is the north end of town, and we had one in Carnegie, south end of town. Right. Same problem. Ended up working really hard in the business and failed. So we had to close the doors. So I had two goes at it, and I thought, oh, geez, this is not all it's sort of chalked up to be, this running a business. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe it's not about knowing what to do. Maybe you actually have to be lucky. So the first two goes at running businesses didn't work, and I was a bit discouraged, but I realized that the key element that I was missing was my ability to communicate and sell. So I jumped into a sales job for about five, nearly 10 years. And learning how to sell, and I know this sounds weird, but if you're in business, you need to know how to sell, even if you're not a salesperson, because you're selling your idea, right? You're selling your employees on why they should work for you. You're selling your customers on why they should stay with you. You're selling your suppliers and why they should do a better deal for you. So learning to communicate and negotiate became a key skill that I was missing. So I spent the next 10 years really sort of learning everything I could about communicating more effectively, selling more effectively. And that took me from a sales job, which was really low end, like the only person that would ever employ me, um, to becoming top of my field. And weird things started to happen. People would start to ask, David, you're gifted at sales. I said, I'm not gifted at sales. I learned it from books and video and audio cassettes. Oh, yeah, yeah, but what's your secret? Read this book. Watch this video. Listen to this audio. Yeah, but David, you know, obviously you've got the gift. And people started to justify why I was successful. And it wasn't anything other than my own education. Sure. So that sort of led me into the next phase, which was, well, if I can teach people the skills of being successful and they do what I ask them to, they will be successful. So then the natural progression was moving into the coaching business. A weird progression. I didn't know the two businesses, actually. I did not know that. No. That was, okay. All right. Well, then, I, I mean, that, that's very interesting. Those two businesses prior, what do you put that down to as to why they failed? Purely on the back of, I could not sell? Or was there just a learning curve that you had to go through to then get to the point where you're at now? I think it's naive to think that your first go of business will be successful. It does happen for some people. For most people, it's a trial and error thing. And uh, I was naive and I thought if I had the skills, that, like I had the books in front of me, all the instructions, you know, sometimes the instruction manual makes you, gives you confidence. But uh, the reality is I didn't fail. I just learned a lot. Okay. And uh, I think that's a big distinction. When people see failure as a dis disability, like, I don't know how to run a business, therefore I can't run a business. That's the biggest error right there because you learn by making mistakes. You know, kids learn to walk by falling over. And you don't look at your young kid who's learning to walk and say, you're never going to get it. You might as well give up and just crawl for the rest of your life. We all walk, right? Mm -hmm. yeah. So the same thing happens in business. It's not failure, it's lessons. And as soon as I realized that it's not failure, it's lessons, then I 
worked out, well, what's the universe telling me I have to learn next? And the next thing I had to learn was communication skills. And then I went into my next business and what was the next thing and what was the next thing? So to me, the beauty of running your own business is it's a mirror that doesn't lie. It tells you exactly how successful you are as a business owner. Now, you can take it one of two ways and say, I'll never get this right. Or you can take it the other way, which is what am I missing and what do I need to learn next or who do I need to bring in next? Um, now, I don't know what the stats are. You'll probably have not been able to rail them off your head like that. But the percentage of businesses that get to the end point and either close down or don't even get out of the gates and, and, and fail uh, within the massive. And the odds are very much stacked against, you know, those entrepreneurs or, or those who go out and start business. I know there's going to be a lot of things that you can rail off and say, oh, it's for this reason, this reason, this reason. But kind of your one or two reasons as to why you believe, seeing so many businesses, why you believe that just people don't get out of that gate or they don't ever actually have what's called a successful business. Yeah. Look, there's two primary reasons. One is they give up too early. (laughs) So they literally just pull the pin too early. It fails. It's like if you go to the casino with 10 grand in your pocket and you put all your money on black and red comes up. It's the end of your night, right? So they, yeah. they, they tend to be overconfident and they just throw all their money down one. Because there's, there's two sayings, right? Put all your eggs in one basket and watch that, watch that basket or diversify, right? But there's no right answer, right? The right answer is if you're knocked out of the game, you can't play anymore. Mm-hmm. So I think the biggest first mistake is that people think it's black and white. I'm either successful or I fail. And if I fail, it's over. Um, for me, it's about iteration. So, you know, it's not how many times you fall over, it's how many times you get back up. That's the first rule, okay? The second thing I think that causes people to not be successful is to be too rigid, right? So they have a one-eyed view of the world and they think it's got to work my way or it's not going to work. So they don't change. And you've been in business for a little while, but, you know, we've talked about this. When you're in business, there's things that work and there's things that don't work. When something works, you do more of it. When something doesn't work, you either don't do it or you adjust it, okay? But either way, you're moving forward, okay? So they're sort of almost the same thing, but I think the biggest cause of failure in business is that, that, that inability to move with what's going on around you, like what's happened recently with COVID. You know, a lot of people just pull the pin too early. You know, they just said, COVID, stop, everything's off, wait till it's over. And the reality is what they probably should have done is said, how can I use this to my advantage? Okay. Which is absolutely what you did in your business. Yeah, and a few other people have done that. And the big thing for me was when we couldn't have face-to-face meetings anymore, we went online. Now, we'd been online before, so it wasn't super difficult, but a lot of people said, we're going to wait till we can see face-to-face. And so during that two-year period, they're still late. <laughs> and uh, we, we just said, everything's online, and we can continue to grow, and we can reach more people because we're online. So it's sort of how you look at things, if that makes sense. Mm, and staying fluid, for sure. I mean, I know that's something that you did teach us very, very early on. Um, I think the big thing that kind of pops out to my mind is also knowing your numbers. Since I've really gotten familiar with the numbers and where the business is going, I've realised, first of all, how important it is and how it shapes every decision. More importantly, how many people don't know their numbers and how long I went through business going, I think we're doing all right. I'm just having no clarity around it. So that would be my one. But, yeah, okay. So flip side of that. People give up too easy. Yeah. People aren't fluid enough. How about those, you obviously 
train and help a lot of successful businesses. What are they doing differently? Or is it just the opposite of what you just said? Hardly. <laughs> I mean, look, business is like a blood sport, right? It's, 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 it's brutal, right? And the numbers don't lie. And a lot of the reason people don't want to see their numbers is because they don't want to know. But they play that game of denial, and it's a bit like having your head buried in the sand, and the question is which part of your anatomy is sticking up. It's the part that's going to get kicked. Right? <laughs> if you want security, get a job. Right? You have holiday pay, sick pay, long service leave, and you get regular paycheck. If you want adventure in your life, get a business because you never know what's around the corner and your ability to adapt to what's going on in the marketplace is measured by the bank account. So the numbers don't lie. They're, not, they're neither good nor bad. They just tell you what's going on. And a lot of people say, I don't want to know. I don't have time for that. It's not like you. I go, well, it's just the scorecard. It's like the speedo in your car. Right? It tells you how fast you're going, which is only relevant if there's a speed limit. If there's no speed limit, you don't need a speedo, right? Yep, yep. So, so I think that's, that's part of it. The other thing is... Um, I think people also think too small when they go into business, right? What I mean by that is they go in and they go, look, I just need to make enough to survive or to pay my bills. I'm not greedy. I don't want to grow. And, and they associate growth with greed. And to me, it's the opposite. Growth is an indicator that what you're doing is the right thing. So I had someone ask me this question. You know, you talk about numbers. Is it always about the money? I said, it's not about the money, but that's the scorecard. Right? So if you're not making any money in your business, then you're probably not providing the right service or the right value to clients, right? And it's pretty brutal. It's, it's an ugly sort of story. But for most people, when, they make, when they're in a price competitive market, I say it's not, it's not that people don't want to pay more. It's just they don't understand why, to pay, why they should pay more. It's, that, that's the real difference, right? So, yeah, there is a perspective. So I think people think too small. And, uh, you know, there's a brilliant book, if you haven't read, called The Magic of Thinking Big. It's an oldie, but a goodie. And there's a number of books on this topic, but I think when people go into business, they have to think at least three times the multiple of your weight. So if you're worth 100 grand in the market as an employee, then you need to be making 300 grand in profit as a goal in your business to even consider it worthwhile or working you know, a third of the time. So it has to be something significant because of the risk involved. For sure. For sure. Again, something that you taught us very, very early of creating that vision getting crystal clear with that vision. Yeah. Um, I was having a chat with, with someone the other week and we were discussing, you know, I'd rather shoot for Jupiter and land at, at the moon as opposed to shooting at the moon and then landing on top of the Rialto Tower. Sounds yeah. funny, but going for the absolute sky and falling a little bit short as opposed to yeah, just putting, putting a limit on you. Um, super important because yeah. really you can only grow as far as, your mind tells you. Yeah, yeah. Or as, as far as you can see, for sure. For sure. Yeah. And, it, and it is a big problem because people don't want to be ambitious because they feel like they might. Here's the problem. One is if I set a big goal and I fail. You know, <laughs> so there's a fear of failure, right? And to me, it's, well, what happens if you set a small goal and you succeed? Well, at least I'll be confident in myself. Well, you know, the whole idea is that uh, if you're going to build a business, if you're going to go in, you might as well sort of give it a good hard whack. And... We're talking about profitability, but it could be lifestyle choice. It could be the number of people that you help. Um, often people get confused and, and they back off saying, oh, I don't want to be too ambitious because if I fail, then I'll feel bad. And uh, there's two pieces to this puzzle, right? One is that you need to have some sort of objective that excites you, something that's worthy of your time and effort and the risk that you're going to take. But often we look at that ideal 
and we say, well, if we miss it, we failed. And the real thing is that you should be setting your targets based on ideals, but you should be measuring your performance based on history. So your measurement should be based on where you were to where you are now, not to your ideal, because you may never achieve your ideal in your whole lifetime. Yep. Like that 99 goal, uh, 99 year goal. That's, yeah, that's interesting. I like that. I like that. Um, I want to talk about advertising with you. Again, yep. you've you taught me a lot about this, but I, I want to talk about the, the methodology around advertising whereby, yeah. David, you're earning $500,000. You need to spend 10%, 8%, 10% of whatever you're earning and just put it on advertising. Yeah. Stirring you up because I know your thoughts on it, but if you could... Um, <laughs> Yeah, yeah, because that's what they tell you, especially if you go to university and you study uh, commerce, right? There's a percentage of your revenue that should be attributed to marketing. But um, I, I believe that that's a bit of a myth, right? Because most majority of people I talk to in business, I'll ask, what's your marketing budget? And they'll look at me blankly. And they'll either give me one or two answers. I don't have one or the least amount possible. Or the other answer is actually 8%, whatever the number is, right? And I say, look, there's a bit of a flaw in your method here, right? Because if you look at marketing as an expense, any expense in your business you need to control. And the best way, like you're in investment, right? And here's how people become wealthy. They control their expenses. They don't spend money frivolously, right? They don't expense, they invest. So the question really is how do you turn marketing from expense to investment? And it sounds weird, but if I said to you, Adrian, for every dollar you give me, I'll give you $2 in return. How much would you give me? I'll say this to my clients every time. A thousand, a billion, as much as you possibly can. Yeah. And then they go, hang on a second. But what do you mean you're going to give me $2? So just, it's a, it's a scenario. If I was to give you $2 for every dollar, I'd say, I'll give you everything. So, so here's the thing. If your business has capacity in it to deliver that you aren't using, and you can make your marketing work, the return on investment on marketing is phenomenal. And I think people underinvest. So to me, it shouldn't be the minimum amount possible. It should be the maximum amount possible. But I would put a caveat on that saying, make sure that it is profitable. Because most marketing strategies will provide a multiple return on investment if they're measured and if they're effective. So the question is back to your original thing about, well, you know, how do you grow in business? It's testing, right? You test stuff out. If it works, do more. If it doesn't, do less. Change it. So the marketing budget shouldn't be controlled by percentages. It should be controlled by capacity. Right? In terms of how much capacity do you have in your business, keep marketing till that capacity is full. And that's when you slow down. And you only slow down while you're building. You only slow down until, which is exactly what I was going to ask you next, until you can leverage and continue to grow that team. Yeah. I want to talk again about leverage. Again, another thing, everything I'm pulling out is just, from the archives well, that you've taught me about. Um, so, so, so leverage is a uh, interesting topic, okay? Because uh, it's not very well understood. And okay. uh, what happens is inevitably you, you meet, the majority of people you meet in business are self-employed, okay? So technically they're not a business, right? They're a job with a variable income. What I mean by that is you don't work, you don't get paid. And that's okay. No super as well. No super, right? So. Uh, what happens is people get this thing called an ABN number, Australian business number, and they now are officially a business, which means you're a tax collector that doesn't get paid to collect tax. And so your job now is to get money, give some to the government, and keep what's left over. And that's fine. 
Now, the problem with that is you can make good money self-employed. Don't get me wrong. You know, most, most self-employed people, if they're smart about it, can make enough to retire. But there's a difference between being self-employed and being a business owner. And this is the biggest gotcha, right? So when we talk about leverage, the term leverage comes from a lever, right? And we use levers to lift heavy objects and we put a little pull from underneath and you can lift a big rock with a stick and be, be a lightweight. So the philosophy behind leverage in business is how do I do more with less? No, how do I do more with less? Because if I can't do more with less, I'll get to capacity very quickly. And my, my most common objection from business owners, and you would have heard this yourself, is I'm busy. I'm too busy. I'm flat out. I don't have enough time in the day. And here's the problem with saying I don't have enough time in the day. You've got the same amount of time as everyone else, including Richard Branson, Donald Trump, and every other person on the planet. 24 hours a day, seven days a week. It's not about how much time you have. It's about how you use it. So when you think of leverage and you think about how do I do more with less, it starts to get you thinking in terms of being more effective with what you do. And going back to my parents, right, they worked really hard in their business and they worked seven days a week and they were doing what they did to make ends meet. But it's only when they started to think about how do I now employ people to do some of the work so I can do the more valuable stuff that they started to leverage their time. So I feel like a lot of people don't leverage effectively in business. They do in property because they go out and they'll get a loan. Yep. And they'll get an 80% loan on a house. So they'll spend 20% to buy it. But they've got the capital growth on the whole 100%. So their cash on cash return is really high. And a lot of people forget that. Like, I've got this million dollar property, only went up 10% in the past five years. And you go, well, how much did you invest? Oh, 10%. So you doubled your money. Oh, yeah, I suppose you could look at it that way. Well, that's leverage, right? So we can leverage in property. We can leverage in finance. Why can't we leverage in business? And when you start to think about it, there's so many ways you can leverage a business, but it's about working on and not in. For sure. And we've just realised this probably in the last six months. Yeah. We've, hired, we've hired now two, well, three employees. And, and Brilliant. you come to the realisation that, okay, this is how you get in that genius zone, which you talk about quite a bit as well. But mm. getting that zone whereby you're actually spending time growing. Yeah. And it's nice, you know, it's nice on a Friday if you're, you know, doing something you're enjoying and you know that the profit and the business is still going to be turning over. Which is brilliant. Yeah. Um, but yeah, brilliant. Brilliant. Yeah, I love a it. little book, like just, just last year, I read a really good book on this called Who Not How. Yeah. Just even the terminology, Who Not How is really critical in thinking leverage. Because if you work out how to do it yourself, you're destined to do it forever. If you work out who can do it for you, you can hand over the delegation and you can work on the next thing. Now, remember I said, you know, the people who are successful in business aren't necessarily smarter than the people who are not successful. They just understand the whole idea of leverage. And leverage is about how do I make my money work best for me? How do I find people who are willing to work for me and they can produce more than they cost me? Good return on investment. How do I advertise so that I'm getting two dollars for every dollar? Good return on investment. And so these are investment decisions every single day of a business owner's life. And if they start doing that, that's leverage. Starting a business ain't too easy for any viewer listening or anyone <laughs> listening here. It ain't that easy, but it's good fun. Um, something that I I think's been the biggest takeaway from us working with yourself, uh, David was the eight-week sprints and getting around 
the fact of just not putting a, a dream up there. You need to actually have a plan yeah. and work through that plan and have targets and work through those targets. Yeah. I want, if you could, a brief explanation of, of I guess, what this whole eight-week sprint is um, yeah. and how it's developed and how you've found success using yeah. yourself for your team. Well, we'll start with the story, right, because we know that at the end of every year, people go into New Year's resolution mode. And they go, that's it, next year, I'm going to join the gym. <laughs> now, if you know statistically what happens is the biggest uptake of gym membership is January. Okay, The amount of sign-ups they get in January is tremendous. But typically, the re-sign-on rate for the 12-month expiry is less than 50%. And the reason behind it is people get motivated. They join the gym, but they don't go. So... One of, one of the issues in business is we talk about working on the business, working, and it's a bit fluffy. They go, what does that mean? Well, working on the business means not doing the work. Of the I don't understand exactly what that is. Well, I want you to think of this, right? If you go to a builder and you say, I want you to build me a house. The guy goes, no problem. We need a plan. You go, no, 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 don't worry about the plan. Just start. And it sounds weird, right? What do you mean just start? Well, just start. How many floors do you want? I don't know yet. Just start and I'll tell you as you go. That sounds ridiculous, right? <laughs> Here we are in business, and you don't, legally you can't build a house without a plan that's been authorised by council. But business, you can start a business with no plan. And so people go into this business idea, and they go, oh, I just want a couple of clients, that's all I need, just to cover my, you know, this, just a few more clients. What are you building? Don't know. Just need a few more clients. Now, a builder has a plan, and when they have a plan, they use it every single day of the week. Before they cut a hole in a wall, they look at the plan. Before they put a bit, they look at the plan. And for most people in business, they don't, First of all, have a business plan at all, number one. And number two is that I prefer to it at all, maybe once every few months. So we learned a couple of things, right? You talk about goal setting and having lofty goals, and it's nice to set a goal. It's like a New Year's resolution. But if you don't work out what you need to do to get there, chances of achieving that goal become super low. Right? So you have this motivation. I set a goal. I go, that's it. Next year, no alcohol. Yeah, great. Okay, why? Oh, because uh, I'm just hungover and I'm too good. Uh, whatever, right? <laughs> But um, so we, we learned something. And, and the first thing I learned is that your business plan, first of all, you need to have one. And it doesn't have to be perfect. It just has to be a planning document. And the second thing is you need to be referring it to it regularly. So doing an annual business plan or one, most people when they start a business, they, they actually, if they go through the NICE scheme or anything like that, they'll do some form of planning. But it's sort of done once and then they just go. Um, the thing I learned is unless I get you to look at your business plan on a regular basis, uh, chances are it's just a document collecting dust on the shelf. So we used to do quarterly planning days, and we did these for probably 15 years. Every 90 days we'd do a plan, and it sort of coincided with the quarters, the financial quarters, which was useful. Because you might not remember this, but in the early days, you didn't do quarterly best reporting. You did annual reporting for your business. So once a year, you'd put your P&L in at the end of financial year, and you'd do your tax return. Then the government. For me, Dave. Yeah. So in those days, people's business planning was once a year. Right. And then when quarterly best came in, you were forced to produce figures every quarter, right? For the tax man, not for your own purpose. But people said, this is great because now I can see what's happening and I can react. Now, quarterly is okay. But we did quarterly planning days and we found people would get motivated for the first three or four weeks or even eight weeks. But then the last four weeks, nothing happened. So we said, imagine if we upped the ante on these planning cycles. So we went into these eight-week cycles. And the reason we went into eight-week cycles is because it was short enough to get something done. 
sorry, long enough to get something done, but short enough to get the feedback loop. So by running eight-week cycles, you end up having twice as many. So you end up with a six-week uh, planning process and a two-week pull-out. We, we stole this from a company called Basecamp, who run um, um, planning software, Basecamp. And they, they realised that 90-day cycles were too long, and so they reduced it down to eight weeks. So we, we turned our planning process around to eight-week cycles. We found people were getting more things completed, projects completed, and when I talk about projects, we're talking about working on versus working in. That's not how many sales you made during, this, during that, that eight-week cycle. It's what strategies did you implement in your business. It might be a sales process, or it might be a marketing strategy, or it might be a new product, or it might be doing podcasts like you guys, right? So <clears throat> if you did that, uh, if you did one thing every eight weeks to grow your business, then you get a compounding effect. So once again, back to leverage. Um, if you do one thing a year to grow your business, then you're not getting the same level of compounding. For sure, for sure. And that's kind of how it's ran, isn't it? You, you look at, I guess, the areas, the five levers or the areas that you're maybe yeah. wanting to improve in most, pick yeah. one or two of those areas, implement a plan and actually put a plan in place. So what you need to target, what you need to yeah. hit every week of those eight weeks. Well, the issue we have is most people will willingly set a goal, even though most are too small, but they'll set a goal. But then when you say, so what are you going to do to achieve the goal? We go, well, what do you mean? We've set the goal. Now, I get it. Right? But if you don't have actions that you're doing either on a daily or weekly basis, moving you towards that goal, the chances of achieving it are low. Because you know, there's a part of it, which is you, know, you set a goal and you set your intention and the universe will start creating opportunities. But if you don't act on those things, then nothing happens, right? So you've got sort of two elements. There's the, there's the idealization or the, what we call the being, right? You've got to identify what, what is it that you're going for and who's the person I need to be to get there. And then there's the doing, right? What do I need to do physically? And I'll, I'll give you an interesting, an interesting statistic. Um, people who win the lottery, right? Because when someone wins the tax lotto in this country, they've had to change the way they give them the money. Because they found statistically that people who win the lottery will lose all of that money within two years and then some. Right? And the reason that happens is if I said to you, Adrian, here's 10 million bucks, right? straight away you'd be going, great, what property can I invest in? Well, that's what we're going to say, yep. <laughs> right? But if I gave that same 10 million bucks to someone who's a process worker in a, in a, in a factory, they go, oh, my God. 10 million bucks, I'll never have to work again. Awesome. I'm going to go and pay off my home loan, which you do. <clears throat> then I'm going to buy myself a Porsche. Then I'm going to buy my mum a Porsche because she wants one too. And then I'm going to pay her home loan. And then I'm going to take all my mates overseas. And, and sure enough, even if they think they're doing the right thing, and then I'll invest the rest. Now imagine going to someone who's never invested in their life and saying, you now are an investor. You need to invest this $10 million wisely. What are they going to do? They're going to struggle. struggle. They'll, they'll yeah. go, they'll yeah. Google investment. But the problem is they can't tell the difference between a credible investment and not credible investment because they've got no experience in that space. And this is why they lose the money. It's not because they didn't want to keep it. It's just that they're naive in this space. Mm. Okay? So think about this, right? So what it means is that, and they did this, another experiment on the same token. There was a, a, I can't remember the name of the town that was in South Africa, or sorry, in Africa. And the community decided they'd take all the money in this tribe and they'd put it into a big pile. And then they would distribute it evenly amongst everybody. So they said, we're going to take all the money in the town, in the town. we're going to redistribute it evenly. 
And if they did that with dollars, <clears throat> the average person would be distributed about one to two million dollars. What they found is after they distributed this money evenly, within two years, the money ended up in the same pockets that it was prior to the distribution. That's interesting. Yeah. So here's the truth, right? <clears throat> if I give someone money and they don't know how to manage it, they will eventually part ways with that money. But on the same token, if I have someone who knows how to manage money and I take all their money off them, they will, over a period of time, reaccumulate that same amount of money. So think about this, because what it means is that it's not just about the activities, it's about the person, right, yeah, and how they think. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think it was Jim Rohn, David. It was, it was someone I've listened to speaking exactly about this. If, if yeah. someone were, were to be given a million dollars, they ought to learn how to become a millionaire straight away. Otherwise, they will lose it. That's very interesting. Yeah, I take it a step further, because I was sharing this thought with one of my kids when he was younger, and he said, so, Dad, tell me that, um, so if I win the lottery, if I don't know how to manage the money, I'll lose it. Go, yeah. He goes, so what happens if I learn how to manage the money and I don't have it? And I said, if you learn to manage it, you'll get it. So part of it is like when you evolve your identity to be that of a millionaire, you think differently. Sure. So then the money arrives because money, money is agnostic. It doesn't care who holds it. It's actually the most commoditized thing on the planet and there's an abundance of it. And I'll give you a good example. You know, in the last few years, the government has been handing out lots of money. Yep. They've been printing it and handing it out. And it's all care packages, and that's fine. And at first, I was a bit thrown. I'm going, geez, they're, they're, they're going to cause inflation because they keep printing money. And as they print it, the money that I have devalues, yeah, which makes sense. And then someone pointed out to me, he said, you know, they're printing that money and they're handing it to people who don't know how to hold it. So guess what they're doing? They're spending it. Absolutely. So all you need to be is the person who sells the stuff that they're spending it on, and that money comes straight to you. And it blew my mind. Yeah. And, or, and or invested into assets, which are going to fortunately well, it's, grow if you do hold it's a, re, it's a redistribution. So all that's really happening is when the government prints money and they devalue my money, what they're doing is what that little village did. Right? They're saying, we'll give all these poor people money because they need it. And the poor people go, great, I've got all this money from the government, I'll go buy a new TV. Mm. Or I'll go out and do this or I'll go... And, and they're going to spend it. They're not going to keep it because they don't know how to hold money. That's why they're in that situation in the first place. So it's just a redistribution. And so the people who have been trading through this period are making a lot of money. And you know the people that are in business that have taken advantage of COVID are making money. And Absolutely. it's because they sort of readjusted. They, they, they just looked at business differently and said, how, how do we tap into this cash flow that's occurring? Right? And uh, the worst thing you can do during uh, inflation is hold on to cash. So everyone just starts spending it. They go buy property, property prices go up, you know, so it, it's good for the economy, but you have to be in the right place to be receiver. For sure, for sure. I like that. I like that. Um, David, I don't, I know we're cautious time, very busy man. I want to touch in a little bit about your business itself because we haven't really touched on it all too yeah. much. Okay. Um, and then, and then we'll wrap it up. But I, I want to discuss, I guess, so your business as Outcomes Business Group, which it is, kind of what you guys actually specialise in and what, what it is that kind of separates you and I guess why you've been able to do this for years as opposed yeah. to two years. 
Yeah, well, going back to statistics, most small businesses don't make it past five years. Eighty percent fail, and then out of the eighty, out of the twenty percent that succeed, only only twenty percent of those go ten. And there's a couple of like we've talked about a lot about the elements of success here, and one of them is to have big goals. The other one is to be resilient and take mistakes as lessons. And so what happens is like we we started this business twenty years ago, and a lot of it's to do with helping people grow. So we do a number of things. One of them is uh, education. So, you know, we talked about people going into business, they have the skill of their trade, right? So they might be a good plumber or they might be a good uh, accountant. So they go into the accounting business, but they're self-employed. And what they soon realize is that this has got limitations. It's unleveraged. So for me to grow as a business, I need to learn new skills, which is how to build a team and how to make sure they're effective. This is the skill set that we teach, right? So we, we teach people how to become business owners as opposed to being self-employed. Yep. Uh, in the first instance, self-employed is okay because, you know, you've got to pay some bills and it gets you in the front door. But sometimes it can be a double-edged sword. So the education process needs to continue. And you, you mentioned Jim Rohn, and one of my favourite quotes from him is, never wish life were easier, wish you were better. In that voice, um, but it doesn't even wish you were better. <laughs> that voice. That but, voice. Um, what, what it got me to realize is every time you learn something that is a skill set, so it could be a psychological skill set, it could be goal setting, it could be business planning, it could be marketing. I mentioned before. Every time you learn something, you become more valuable. And if you apply that knowledge, then the bank account will shift. And so when we think about our own education as being one of our best investments, because a book's like 20 bucks, right? And so people go, where should I invest my money? I say, how about your own education? And they look at me like I'm strange. You know, mm. um, and your own education is going to stay with you till the day you die. And it's leverageable because every time I learn a new skill, I can use it for the rest of my life. So we have an education platform, which is training people on how to grow businesses. All the aspects that we talked about marketing today, we talked about building teams, we talked about planning. <clears throat> There's a few other aspects there, which is service delivery. So making sure that you can deliver a service that's of value. And uh, the, the other part of that is, is really just... Um, you know, this whole idea of how do you help people do what, they, what they're trying to achieve in their life. But business is not complicated, by the way. Um, people get all bound up in it. But really, business is about finding out what people need, going and getting it and giving it to them. And if you do that well, they'll pay you. And if you don't you do it well, then they won't pay you. And it's sort of, if you keep it simple, it's not complex. But um, what we do, though, is that there's, two, there's three pieces to the puzzle. First is knowing what to do. The second is actually doing it. Because the amount of people that go, David, I love all your stuff. It's really good, very useful. They go, great, show me how you've applied it. And they go, what do you mean? So there's an accountability component. And one of the problems with being your own business owner is uh, it's a bit lonely. You'll know what I mean, okay? Because no one really cares how well you did last month other than you and your partner in your situation, right? But So, you know, some people go, how's business? That's great. That's great. You know, don't really care whether you made more profit or less profit this month, and you probably don't share it. So accountability to an outside person is an element of growth, right? And that's like if you want to lose weight, get a set of scales. Measure it, right? Because the numbers don't lie, but most people push them to the side. So we mix education and accountability together. And what then happens is you start to hit the limits of your capacity, right? Now, this is normally what we call the glass ceiling. And inevitably, people will only go as far as they're capable of going. And then when you hit that threshold of, I don't know what to do next, there's a couple of things that can happen at that point. One is that you say, this is as good as it gets. 
or the old saying, it is what it is. Take that one. But uh, th these are all self-limiting beliefs where you say, well, I don't know what to do next. So uh, that's it. And you go, well, if you don't know what to do next, go and learn it. Oh, yeah, but I tried that. It didn't work. And so they justify their way out. Does that make sense? And below so, the belt. Is that what you used to refer to? Below the belt? Uh, below the line, we call it. Yeah, so it's like, it's like excuses, justification, or denial is a good one. Or blame. It's not my fault. It's government's fault. You know? and, and you look at all that and you go, well, that's all valid, but it doesn't fix the problem. It just justifies it away. So the accountability starts to put a, a brutal mirror in front of people saying, well, this is what's actually occurred as a result of what you thought was awesome. And it's neither good nor bad. It's just, well, what did you learn from that and how are you going to move forward? So the real part, the element of coaching that's most critical for me is when you get to that precipice and you go, I don't know what to do next. I'm not sure if this is working. Maybe it's this, maybe it's that. There's a growth opportunity and we call it a breakthrough. And I think when people break through, and the beauty of breakthrough is when you grow and you have a breakthrough, you don't go backwards. Okay. When you grow by accident and you don't know what you did, then you can go backwards. Or if you grew from luck or if you grew from, you know, being in the right place at the right time, that's all fine. I love those sorts of growth stories. But the truth of the matter is it's, um, it's the accountability to uh, doing activities. It's the growth personally, so stretching yourself. And sometimes it can be a bit hard. Right, because people don't like failing. Okay. I ask the question, who likes to fail? Everyone goes, oh, no, we know failure is good. You learn from your mistakes. Well, why don't you embrace it? Why don't you try failing every single day? What do you mean? Well, that's the quickest way to grow. You know, if you go to the gym and you want to build muscle mass, the trainers will tell you, do as many reps as you can until you fail. Why? Because mm -hmm. that last rep is the one where the growth occurs, right? Interesting. So I think it's that breakthrough that's, that's the key element. So. We work with people in business that want to grow are frustrated where they are. Um, most of the time, we can most, most issues are fixable through system or through strategy or through learning. But then sometimes we have this, you know, the denial the, below the line, as you, as you mentioned, uh, where people are just scared. They're not sure what to do next. They, they need someone to show them and to hold them accountable so they can have the breakthrough. But the beauty of the breakthroughs is that once you have them, they become pretty much like a, a non-reversible thing. So once you know how to make a million, even if someone takes your million away, you'll just recreate it. You know, once you know how to become a deck a millionaire, so if you're comfortable with $10 million in your bank account, if someone takes it away, you'll just recreate it. If you took Richard Branson and stripped him of his name and put him in a country where no one knows who he is or what he does, it doesn't take long for a guy like that to go back to where he was because it's built into his DNA. So our job is to get people to progress so that they don't go back. Mm, and I think just from... My own personal, well, I guess, biggest thing, or the biggest, what I've taken away the most from being part of your business is just having a soundboard there, just having someone yeah. whereby we go, okay, uh, you're in this position, what can I do? Having someone there to just bounce ideas off. Because you're right, it is a lonely place. Being an entrepreneur or having, a, having your own business is a very, very lonely place. And sometimes... Ideas don't flow as, as what they would if a, th a third party comes in. Um, yeah. And yeah, then, Robert yeah, Kiyosaki. on top of it, go on, you, know, you know Robert Kiyosaki, right? He wrote yep. Rich Dad Poor Dad. Yep. I think one of my yeah, favourite yeah. quotes of his, yeah, yeah. Um, he, I'm not sure if it's in that book, but he said, people need to learn to fail faster. Right? Because they take too long. Right? They, make yeah. epic, they make epic mistakes, like they buy the wrong property, and they're out of the game for three years. Right? Yeah. Yeah. If they made small mistakes, they'd just reiterate quicker. 
and then they learn the skills and they become stronger. So I think sometimes, you know, people are scared of failure. And even though they say failure is good, they don't embrace it. And if you embrace failure, entrepreneurs need to learn to fail, right? Because when you fail, you learn. And as long as you're learning, you're moving. And that's how you grow. Sure. For sure. Something we implemented, probably on the back of what you said, actually, one of your Tuesday events was um, every single week we sit down with the team, what am I going to fail at this week? And just getting comfortable with that notion of what I, what am I going to fail at this week? Because you're right. If you haven't got the metrics in place to work out whether you're even failing or succeeding, that's a problem in itself. But yeah, yeah. Not, not actually failing quick enough is, is a massive problem, which, yeah, very important. Um, so where to next? Where to next for, for outcomes? You guys have been around, you've been around for 20 years. Yeah. Where, well, what, what legacy do you want to leave? What's the end question. goal? Uh, the time of the year now is we, we're doing our replanning for next year. And, and, and for us, like someone asked me the question, why, why do you do all this? Why? And so I'll give you a short answer and then I'll give you a longer one. The short answer is I, I get frustrated when I watch people who've got potential in business get, get stuck. Right? Because when, when a small business owner grows, I don't think they realise the impact they have on their community, on their family and on the, uh, the whole of um, the economy. Because big businesses are not as resilient as they used to be. We came from an industrial age. And in those mm-hmm. days, everyone used to go to work for big organizations and you'd have a 40-year you know, gold watch retirement. That's gone, right? We're in an entrepreneurial era, which means small businesses have to be dynamic, right? And what they do is they create employment for the community. They create uh, you know, wealth for the person who's running it and the family and the employees of that then they also impact an environment. So we we see a lot of companies now that their impact is huge, it's global. And you know, if if COVID did one thing for us, it allowed us to go global very easily because we can now jump online and do things like this without actually leaving the comfort of our own offices. So where people were thinking small about, you know, I wanna be the best plumber in Melbourne or in Collingwood or whatever it might be, uh, we can now spread our wings a lot further. So. So for me, um, we're starting to reach into global markets. We're starting to work out what our niche is. And we're really sort of tuning in on this transition. Because for me, the biggest bugbear is that self-employed person who thinks they're running a business when they're probably running the riskiest thing on the planet, which is a self-employed job. Which means you don't work, you don't get paid. And so that, that, that idea of going into business is awesome, right? But then going from deciding I'm going to be a business person to actually building a business that has team members in it, that has resilience, there's a, there's a chasm in between. And some people will justify it away going, oh, I don't want to build a team. It's too hard. It's too stressful. And what's stressful is when you can't work and therefore you don't get paid. So we really are tuning in on how do we help people who want to grow their businesses but are really hamstrung by either self-limiting beliefs or just not knowing what to do next. And that's the thing that keeps driving you, just being able to help these people who are in this position, self-employed, essentially. Well, well you know, if, if that's what you want, that's awesome, right? If that's what you want. But if you've got ambitions, because here's what happens, right? You, I don't know, you'll have young kids one day. Any kids yet? None on the way no, right now. No, not that I know of. When one of my sons was like four years, five years old, I remember he came up to me and he said, what do you want to be, son? He goes, Dad, I want to be an inventor. I said, oh, yeah, yeah. What sort of things would you invent? He goes, you know, I want to invent a pen that when you push the button, it turns into a car. And that, you don't have to worry about 
It's a brilliant invention because you don't have to worry about parking. Now, when someone's five years old, you don't say, that'd be ridiculous, right? That's impossible. You say, that's awesome. And why would you do that? And that way you don't have to worry about parking, Dad, because you push the button, you jump in your car, you drive to work, you push the button and put it in your pocket. Now, the reason I'm telling you that story is because when someone's young, they're highly creative and they have no inhibitions on what they believe is possible. And then all of a sudden, as we get older, and all of a sudden, as we get older, we get educated that this is reality and this is your dreams and we start bringing people's dreams down mm. to reality. So we actually take away that entrepreneurial spirit and that creativity. Now, you think about it and you think about all of the successful businesses on the planet and we talk about Steve Jobs and Bill Gates and um, Mr. Amazon, I can't think of his name off the top of my head, Jeff Bezos. Bezos. All these guys, they come up with these dreams that sound ridiculous when they say them. They sound ridiculous. Everyone goes, oh, my God, he's, he's a dreamer. There's no way that's ever going to happen. You know? and, then, and then the dream becomes a reality and we go, oh, my God, he was lucky. He was in the right place at the right time and he was a really smart guy. And all it really was is that he didn't relent his dream. They didn't relent their dream. They stuck with their dream and they just pushed through and they said to society, you're wrong. I believe this is possible and I'm going to push until it happens. And when it happens, people go, oh, my God, he's super successful. Now, to me, when we take that dream away from a child by saying, you better, don't get your hopes up, you know, you know that's not reality. We're killing the inspiration that grows mankind. <laughs> because that's if we don't have that, then what happens is we flatline and we get told, you know, just, just live a life of, you know, don't, don't get your hopes up and, you know, just earn a reasonable income and, you know, make sure you look after your family. It doesn't inspire me. <laughs> if that's not a bit of wisdom, to, to cap this uh, session off, then I don't know what is. That's, I've learned a hell of a lot, a lot more than what I thought I knew about you, David, in this session. That's brilliant. Um, no, look, I appreciate, uh, appreciate you asking the questions because uh, I don't often get to talk about it in detail. I think, I think we get so busy in our own worlds that sometimes you forget. And uh, I think the reason why people do stuff is super important. And when you think about, like, if you have purpose in your life, it doesn't really matter what you chose. Right? Whatever your purpose is, if you're on purpose, your power is enormous. And when people don't have purpose because they say, oh, I don't really know what to do, or, you know, I tried this and I failed, and, and you hear failure in that conversation, you go, well, what stopped you? It didn't work out, I could have done like this. You go, well, I don't know. You know, you get one shot at life, you know, and you get to choose whichever way you want to go, and you get to choose. I, I, I don't mind, right? But for those people that believe there's something they've got, that they want to share with the world, well, sometimes it's an obligation, not just an option to just give it a go. Absolutely. You could have yeah. very well given up after those first two businesses and not been in a position whereby you're actually transforming people's lives. You've transformed my life, our business. Yeah. And that was your obligation, really. That was really your obligation. But maybe if you look at it and you'll continue to do so. I think so. And, and, and this is the door, the door that's open here. Is anyone who's thinking to grow? I mean... We have a lot of stuff that we've learned over the years, but in the end, it's just human to human, right? If you're serious about growing, we're going to try and work out how we can help. And if we can't, we just say Because we don't have a magic wand here. We can't solve all problems. But I think as you're starting to realise, it's really about rolling up your sleeves and just focusing on what it is you really want and how, hard, how, how badly do you want it, and then just go. And getting the help around you. That's on top of all that, getting the help around you because it's yeah. only, we've only started to grow since we decided. So for our viewers, how can people get in contact with you? I will put it in the show notes anyway, but how can yeah. people get in contact with you? And how 
uh, simple, right? Uh, these days, just type in David Guest, you'll find me. Our, our business, outcomes.business is the website, outcomes.business. Uh, on there, we've got a whole lot of tools to help people in business. It's, you know, for me, the, the knowledge you know, is necessary, but that's not the value, right? Because you can Google everything and anything, but got a whole lot of useful tools on there. Um, some um, quizzes, some checklists, uh, even like, you know, when it comes down to the end of the year and we talk about, you know, setting goals, we've got goal setting mechanisms that people can download all for free. So if they jump on the website, they can find that stuff there or if they want to reach out directly, they can just email me directly, david at, david, at outcomes.business. I can't thank you enough, David, for everything, for the impact you've had on our business, our mindset, and for coming on today and giving a very valuable time. Oh, so I can't thank you enough. Privileged to be a part of your journey, Adrian. It's been exciting to watch you guys grow. Thank you for everything. Pleasure, mate. Take care. Thank you, David. All right. Well, there you have it, folks. I was, again, always a pinch yourself moment when uh, for myself and even Frank, I'll talk on behalf of Frank, when we have someone at the stature of, of David, but more so someone who has a wealth of knowledge who we can then share with you. Um, David and his, and his business, uh, since joining him, we joined him up in uh, 2021. As of the first month, we doubled business every single month until uh, the end of the year. So 2021 was very much made possible due to David and Outcomes Business Group. They're an amazing, amazing business group. Not that this is a plug, but I mean, anyone, any business group, um, you know, on their You know, we touched on a range of things today. I think, um, I think the big, big takeaway though is just that mentality with money and the fact that there is an abundance of it in the world, um, but also on a bunch of other things, planning, leverage. Uh, you know why he got into business and, and his associations with, with failing. So there was really a range of topics that we did talk about. We did go deep. We did take about an hour, um, but always, always good fun. So thank you so much for sticking by. Make sure you tune in to our next session and make sure you hit that subscribe button. Take care. Bye. If you like today's podcast, then you're absolutely going to love the Investing You Facebook group, where we share a bunch of valuable tips and tricks on property investing for our exclusive community. Come join us and let's level up.